0: Christ our redeemer. Well, that has
1: to come up. All right. Good. We're finally going to get back to our Sunday afternoon study on how to study the Bible. This week, we're on key number five. If I can find my notes here. If not, we might not be learning how to study the Bible today. No, I'm just kidding. We got em. Key number five. Thanks, thank you, you did a couple things I think, you helped me tape the flashing on the windows before we put the windows in, right, you helped stuff for me, all right, key number five is what we're going to learn about today, we've gone through the theme of the Bible, we've gone through context, we've gone through comparing Scripture with Scripture, and there was one other one in there I'm drawing a blank on, Rightly dividing the word truth. So those are the four we've talked about so far. So now we are on key number five. The title, or really what we're going to look at, is recognize the three layers of application. The three layers of application. And there was a lot of stuff that I wanted to go over today with this, but... <coughs> Maybe I'll do like I did this morning with Leviathan, and either on a Sunday school or a Wednesday night, maybe we'll, we'll cover one of the examples that I didn't get to, just for time's sake. We couldn't do it all. So, All right, so key verses. The first one is 1 John 5.39. That's the reference there. 1 John 5.39. <clears throat> it says, search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Jesus had just healed a man, and the Pharisees freaked out that he would do this on the Sabbath day. He says to them to say uh, that they think they know the Scriptures so well, and yet they have no idea that the whole Old Testament testifies of him, of Christ. So, you think you know your Bible so well, Their Old Testament, that's what they had but you don't even realize that it's about me. He's saying John 5.46 is the next one. John 5.46, it says, For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. They claim to believe the writings of Moses. How many times did the Pharisees reference or quote Moses or reference Moses? Well, they claimed to believe the writings of Moses, but Genesis, which is Genesis, Deuteronomy, and yet they had no idea that Moses wrote of him. So there and again, uh, you know, John 145. It's the next blank, John 1.45. It says, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip knew who Moses and the prophets wrote about. Uh, So both of them wrote about Christ. We learned that several weeks ago when we studied the theme of the Bible and we looked at uh, Acts chapter 3. We saw that the prophets were all about Christ. And then Luke 24, 27, last reference here. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So after Christ's resurrection, the two Marys, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Jesus, found the empty tomb and told the disciples who didn't believe them. Later, two of them are walking on the road to Damascus, and Christ appears to them and expounds to them the scriptures concerning himself. Verse 32 says, He opened to us the scriptures. So that was on the Emus Road, was it? Emmaus? Yeah, that's it. Emmaus. Yeah, that's it. I can't speak, apparently. we got Leviathan and em- and Alright, key thought. The Old Testament is actually the picture book of New Testament truth. So the Old Testament is actually the picture book of New Testament truth. Key explanation. God takes New Testament concepts precepts and principles that are sometimes difficult for us to understand, and graphically pictures them through his record of the events of history. So the first blank is pictures. The second blank is history. Uh, So record of the events of history in the Old Testament, so they can be clearly seen and understood. So they're pictured, New Testament principles, precepts, concepts, are pictured in the Old Testament history narrative so they can be clearly seen and understood. This is why the Old Testament is so important for us to learn, because it pictures New Testament truths. Key quote, you will never really understand the New Testament without understanding the Old Testament. And you will never really understand the Old Testament, you you can probably figure out where we're going here, without understanding the New Testament. New, old, old, new. Daily reading the Bible helps us gain the knowledge and information we need to make connections that will give us understanding. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So, All right, key principle. The three layers of application in the Bible. First one is the historical application. The historical application. What is happening at this time in history? When interpreting the Bible, we have to understand that what was written down originally was written to real people or was written about real people during a real time in history when when things were taking place that the letter or the record dealt with specifics that were either taking place or... Guidance that was needed based on a certain circumstance or situation that was taking place at that time. So there was, there is historical uh, interpretation that we understand what's going on, what's taking place, who, who is being addressed, all those kinds of things. The second one is the doctrinal or prophetic application. The doctrinal or prophetic application. Psalm 119, Psalm 119 and verse 118 says, Thou hast trodden down all them that err from thy statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. Uh, So there are consequences for those who improperly interpret the Word of God and that improperly, uh, you know, error, that err from the statutes of God. So it's important we understand the doctrinal or prophetic application. What is this teaching actually pointing to prophetically? So, like, for instance, when we talked about in Sunday school, and I think mentioned it this morning, that day points to the second coming of Christ. That's a statement. When we read it in the Bible, we can at least should look at what, how this might be uh, applicable to the second coming of Christ. There's historical application to the text, and then there's also prophetic or doctrinal. All right, and then the devotional or inspirational application. Devotional or inspirational application. In other words, what can I apply to my life? How does this apply to me? What does this mean to me? How am I supposed to change? What does this mean I ought to do? How does this, you know, how does this apply to my life? Truths are not just for information, but to produce transformation. Um, So God wants to transform us into the image of His Son. Uh, So that's what the the truths and information that we learn out of the Bible deal with. So here's here's an example: uh, the book of Proverbs or Solomon. Sometimes it's referred to. Um, historical application: the writer is Solomon. Um, writer is Solomon. I made a couple of typos in this section. I'll try to point them out, but. Uh, Proverbs 1.1. Actually, let's turn over to Proverbs because we'll reference several passages in Proverbs. So starting in chapter 1. Proverbs 1.1 1, 1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So we understand <clears throat> Solomon wrote Proverbs. The recipients, his sons. Pro- Proverbs 1.8 says, My son, hear the instruction of thy father. Verse 10, My son, if sinners entice thee. Chapter 2, verse 1, My son... 3 verse 1, my son, 311, my son, 21, my son, where are you? Yep. You get the idea. All throughout Proverbs. My son. That's who Solomon was writing to. Um, and then the content, the wisdom that should guide our lives. So the content of Proverbs. The wisdom that should guide our lives. This is, it gives us a lot of instruction in regards to our character, in regards to how we ought to live, and wisdom that is going to help us significantly in life. Now you see it says the devotional inspirational application. We're skipping that for now. That's, that shouldn't have been there. That's one of my typos. But we'll go on to the doctrinal prophetic application. The writer. We already read Proverbs 1.1, the Proverbs of Solomon. The son of David, king of Israel. Just like Jesus, the son of David. Uh, you know, the Bible tells us that Jesus was the son of David. Um, he also will be king in Israel someday. Um, who actually is Solomon? Well, he's got some pretty incredible names. The name given to him by his father David, Solomon. It's from the Hebrew root, Shalom. Anyone know what shalom means? Peace, right? It means peace or peaceable. It's used to say peace be with you by the Jews. Um, so Solomon means peace or peaceable. That's the two blanks there. The blank right before that in the quotes is peace. So as the king, as the son of King David, we would say that Solomon is the prince because the son of a king is a prince, right? And then his name means peace. We could possibly make that connection, prince of peace. I know he's not the prince of peace, Christ is, but he is certainly a prince of peace. The notes say the prince of peace. but All right, then the name given to him by the prophet Nathan. Don't lose your place in Proverbs, but in 2 Samuel 12. 2 Samuel chapter number 12. Verse 25 says, And he sent by the hand of Nathan the prophet, and he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. So, he's called Jedidiah. The Hebrew name Jedidiah tells us that Solomon is the beloved of Jehovah. That's what Jedediah means. Beloved of Jehovah. We know Jehovah is God the Father. So not only is Solomon a prince of peace, he's also beloved of the Father. Maybe we're seeing some correlations here. His powerful titles, Proverbs 1.1. We already read the son of David. 1 Chronicles 28.6 guys get that blank, son of David? Probably already knew it. <laughs> Over in 1st Chronicles 28, ay, ay, come on, 28 and verse 6, it says, and he said unto me, Solomon thy son, he shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. So, uh, Solomon is the son of Jehovah. That was God the Father speaking. Well, what's the first one again? Proverbs 11, Son of David. Um, so. The next one is son of Jehovah. J E H O V A H. And then 1 Chronicles 22 9. Behold, a son shall be born to thee, speaking to David, who shall be a man of rest. So he is called the man of rest. Interesting parallels between Solomon and Christ. So then we see his monumental kingdom. I shouldn't have closed 1 Chronicles. I jumped the gun there. In 1 Chronicles 28.5, It says, And of all my sons, for the Lord hath given me many sons. He hath chosen Solomon, my son, to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. So Solomon sat on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord. We know one day the Lord, who is Jesus Christ, will sit on the throne in the kingdom in Israel. 1 in Chronicles 22.10 What we're essentially doing here is what we did in Sunday school, comparing Scripture with Scripture. First Chronicles 22.10 says, He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Solomon sat on the throne of an eternal kingdom. So the throne in Israel will one day be established as eternal. In verse 9 of the same passage, Behold, a son shall be born to thee who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies round about. For his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. So, first, Solomon's kingdom was a kingdom of peace and quietness. Those are the blanks there. Or rest. And then in 1 Kings 5, 4, we can actually get this from that previous verse we just read. But now the Lord my God hath given me rest on every side, so that there is neither adversary nor evil occurring. There's a kingdom without adversary. Kind of like during the Millennial Kingdom, when Satan is locked away for a thousand years. So no adversary present. Oops. Second Chronicles 9, verse 23, says this. And all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom that God had put in his heart. So all the kingdoms of the world, the kings of the earth, sought the presence of Solomon. So Solomon's presence was sought by all the kings of the earth. So if we remove the name Solomon from all those references, and we just went to someone who had a basic knowledge of Bible truths, and we said, uh, who are we talking about when we say the son of David, the son of Jehovah, the man of rest, sat on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord, uh, sat on the throne of an eternal kingdom, the kingdom was a kingdom of peace and quietness, there was a kingdom with no adversary present and all the kings of the earth sought his presence. We would say it was speaking about Jesus Christ, right? Right. During the millennial kingdom, all the nations of the world will seek his presence. Man of rest, prince of peace, he's going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem, some interesting connections here. So historically, Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. Doctrinally or prophetically, Jesus wrote the book of Proverbs. So in a doctrinal or prophetic sense, take special note of, yeah, we just said that, who actually wrote the book of Proverbs. So we won't run all these references right now, but you'll have the notes. If you want to go back and look them up yourself, we might look at a couple of them, we might not, but I'll, I'll give you the references. So Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6, refers to Christ as the Prince of Peace. Beloved of Jehovah, Matthew 3.17, after his baptism, what did, what did the Father say? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Son of David, Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. Son of Jehovah, Luke 1.32, referred to Son of the Highest, which we know is referring to the Father, so Man of Rest, Hebrews four eight to ten speaks of Christ being the Man of Rest. Throne of the Lord, Revelation three twenty one speaks of Christ being on the throne of the Lord. Eternal Kingdom, Isaiah nine seven. Kingdom of Peace and Rest, Isaiah nine seven same reference twice in a row there. Kingdom with no adversary, Revelation 20, verses 2 through 3. That's dealing with the millennial kingdom when Satan will be locked away for a thousand years. And then kings of the earth seeking audience, that's from Revelation 21, 24. So in a doctrinal or prophetic sense... Take special note of who we could say actually wrote the book of Proverbs. Now, we understand all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, so it's no surprise. But doctrinally, prophetically speaking, this letter, or this book, rather, is a book written by Christ to a specific group of people. You remember who, historically speaking, it was written to by Solomon? His son. My son, right? Right. The moment we received Christ, we received one of the most significant titles in all of Scripture. We became the sons of God. In the book of John, we'll look at these references real quick because this is an important and powerful truth about where we stand positionally with Christ, relationally with Christ. John chapter 1, Verses 11 and 12 (laughs) says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Mm. Romans chapter 8. Verse 19 and verse 23. Verse 19 says, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Verse 23, And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Philippians 2. So when is the manifestation of the sons of God? When we get our glorified body. Philippians Two verses fourteen and fifteen. It says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without <coughs> rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And the last one is First John. First John chapter 3 verse number 1 Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not So it says in a doctrinal or prophetic sense but here's really the application The book of Proverbs revealed the wisdom by which our Lord Jesus Christ will rule. So first blank is wisdom. Second blank is rule in his millennial kingdom. So the book of Proverbs is a manual for kingdom living. Solomon wanted his sons to live according to the wisdom of this book. Present tense. Christ wants you and I to live according to the wisdom of this book. Present tense. Solomon was on the throne when he penned these expectations. Christ should be on the throne of our hearts. He's given us the expectations that he wants us to live by. Thus, we should live in accordance with our Father, with our King, Jesus Christ's expectations. So, I don't know if I'll do this next Sunday afternoon or a different Sunday after, or Sunday school sometime or what, but... If you remember several weeks ago, we studied Proverbs 31 and made the comparison between Ruth and the Gentile bride, and we talked about Proverbs 31. So Ruth is the only woman in the whole Bible that is actually called a virtuous woman, and she was a Gentile bride to a Jewish husband who was her kinsman-redeemer, and we drew those correlations, and then we talked about how Christ wants us to live as his bride Well, there are two women referenced specifically that get a decent amount of attention in the Word of God, or in the book of Proverbs. There's the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. Starting in Proverbs 7, I think it is, we have the strange woman. And uh, maybe another time we'll talk about the application there to us about the strange woman. Yes, there's historical application. We shouldn't get tangled up with the strange woman. There's trouble there, but there's also spiritual application that comes out of our doctrinal understanding that this is Christ writing to his church. So anyways, I'll close us out. It was a pretty short service. Maybe I did have time to cover all that other stuff, but now we'll let y'all go. I'll go ahead and close us in a word of prayer, and we'll dismiss. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Lord, I pray we see these three layers of application as helpful. And when we study our Bibles, uh, we can look at the historical application, the doctrinal prophetic application. And when we have those two things sorted out, we can begin to consider how it applies to our lives. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to see the value in these truths, that they might help us to grow and to walk more closely and personally with you. What an interesting and uh, eye-opening thing to see the picture, the type of Christ that we have in the person of Solomon in the Old Testament. And there is much that can be learned with that little bit of information. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to do just that. Lord, bless the rest of our day. Give us safety. And we love you and praise you and thank you for all you do for us. In Jesus' name.